when I was married and I had kids, that was it. That was yeah. me forever. I would never end up being my parents being separated and divorced. So that caused a huge conflict when I was then older and ended up did separating and divorcing. Yeah. As far as I was concerned, you only get married once. Yeah. And that's it, you know. So I wanted to defy everything I'd experienced. I have a lot of clients that come to me and say, like, communication's broken down. But it's actually what was happening before the communication broke down. We are so tied down with the taboos. What are people going to say? Have we actually sat down and talked about parenting values, yeah. our relationships with money, like really yeah. getting to know each other. The mainstream media has been justifying genocide in Gaza. Islamophobia and censorship are the norm. We are changing that. Our journalism has reached over 300 million impressions on social media since October 7th. On TV, our rolling news coverage has featured key figures like Hussam Zomlot, Avi Shalem, Gideon Levy and Jeremy Corbyn. We need your support to reveal the truth and ensure our voices are heard. Donate today at support.islamchannel.tv. Assalamualaikum, everybody. You are watching Tehreem Noor on Islam Channel's podcast. Uh, and today in present with me is Tom Nash, who is also known as Mr. Divorce Coach. He is the UK's premier male divorce coach. Tom is widely regarded as a leading specialist divorce and separation coach with a unique personal and professional passion for successful co-parenting step and blended family coaching. He has also lived experience of divorce, co-parenting and blended family himself over the course of his life of 35 years or more. Uh, we don't want to disclose his age. So uh, without further ado, please welcome Tom. How are you, Tom? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me here. Thank you so much for joining us. You know what? We've spoken so many times in the past. Um, we've Good done podcasts before. Yeah, and I've known you for a while now. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like every time I speak to you about this specific specific topic um it just enlightens me even more you know and that's exactly why you're here to enlighten us and all of our audiences on this concept that is divorce coaching yeah. um but before we delve into divorce coaching itself one thing i was reading up on and doing a little bit of research on uh was this amazing national day that they've recently embarked upon <laughs> and labeled uh, national divorce day yeah. i mean when did that come around and what is it it's been around for a couple of years now yeah. um in kind of mainstream media for quite a while hmm. uh the first working day or typically the first working monday of the year uh where a lot of people go out and start talking to their family lawyers and start the divorce yeah. process it's kind of a bit, a bit of a myth but does have some truth to it um in the fact that actually a lot of relationship breakdowns are quite cyclical in time with things like school holidays or, or, or national holidays and yeah. things like that. Big times of year being kind of festive times, Christmas periods, summer holidays, that type of thing. So it always does tend to follow um, uh, after a big holiday break. Yeah. But with a new year, new me, new start, yeah. that, that comes around for a lot but of people as well. But that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, oh my God, like what, is, what are people doing? Are they sitting at home over the winter break and thinking okay new year's gonna start i've got new re new year's resolution uh, yeah. i'm gonna get a divorce <laughs> you yeah. know um well typically so tend to find people have been quite incubated in a in a family environment mm -hmm. and if they haven't been if they're really not particularly very happy in the relationship that can be quite amplified yeah. and things like that. and it can be a really stressful time of year for a lot of people anyway but financial strains family strains and a lot of other things that may be yeah. going on in different homes um so it can follow on from that as well. And like you say, it can link to that, right, a new beginning, start of the new year. And a lot of people start to recognise maybe this isn't where I want to be next year and that they're that unhappy or maybe both parties are that unhappy. Yeah, I know, I know. I was reading up on it. I was completely, like, blown away by it. So apparently it's the first Monday of every new year. Yeah. And um, it's actually called National Divorce Day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, the the, it's due to the results of lawyers or divorce lawyers or family lawyers or you know mediation firms seeing a spike yep. uh, in uh, inquiries about divorce and separation so um such an interesting uh, discovery i found today and then you know just to know that overall all the month of january is labeled as divorce month yeah <laughs> like you know you'd never have thought that when we were growing up that there's a month where people get divorced um, well, it's a long month, a lot of yeah. financial strains for a lot of people as yeah, well, like you say, yeah. just following that period, that, yeah. that, that time of year in December. So there's a whole multitude of things that are, are kind of yeah. kicking into it. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, we've both been 
a subject of divorce, mm-hmm. um, not just as individuals ourselves, but also as children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really interesting how you've kind of formed into this being who helps people that are going through, um, you know, divorce or or co-parenting. You know, tell me a little bit about, you know, where it kind of started and how it stems in from. Uh, well, it, kind of going back, you said 35 years, it's probably a bit close to 40 now, to be honest. With you, uh, <laughs> you're not supposed to tell us that. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Um, but uh, no, my, my parents separated when I was very young um, and kind of the mid 80s, there or thereabouts. Um, and back then, the kind of societal view, the cultural view, the, the, the legal process, etc., um, it was very much kind of battle lines in the sand and it, it was very. Um, litigious and a contentious kind of process both practically legally emotionally um and uh i, I grew up with my dad um uh, and my and then my future stepmom etc uh and grew up in this really lovely big blended family so i've got stepbrothers and my two sisters and yeah. half brother as well so kind of grew up in this really lovely warm happy home environment but i didn't really particularly know my mum very well until I was a you bit know, it's older. really funny you say that because you mentioned something societal issues <laughs> and me being a you know, Muslim and Asian, I would never have thought that you would go through societal issues when it comes to divorce, right? Because for me, it's like, oh, it's such an Asian thing. It's such a taboo in I, in my culture, in my religion, that people find it hard to kind of accept and come yeah. to terms with. Um, tell me, like, what do you mean it was a societal... Well, back then in kind of mid-80s, it, mm. it was still kind of a, a social taboo, Um I suppose kind of if you go back through and look at kind of data, it was, I suppose, we're roughly around the same age, I, I believe, but I have kind of parents' generation, that were, let's say the first line of mass-produced separation or divorce. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it, it was still had this kind of social taboo to it uh, and it becoming more acceptable. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously been changing over the years yeah. and the, the law starts to change that as well reflectively. Um, but I think that kind of played a big part into how, when I then was an adult and then went through my own separation and my own divorces, how can I do this differently? How can we do this in a more empathetic, kind approach, really understand that it's not just a, a legal process. Yeah. Yes, that's part of it. Of but actually it's a life and a lived experience. And more than that, it's multi-generational because it yeah. goes down through to your kids, through to your grandkids, etc. So it's yeah, all about yeah. actually the lived experience, the emotional yeah. process of it. I mean, recently we're kind of basically discovering that there's a lot of generational trauma attached to it. Uh, and there is a high chance that children that come from broken homes, mm-hmm. and we call them broken homes without any negative connotation to it, it's just description, um, also end up in similar situations as adults, uh, which I find really you know ironic considering that, you know, Really, should we have learnt from the mistakes of parents or yeah. grandparents and not made those mistakes again? But, you know, the other thing that you, you you say, which I really kind find really intriguing, is the fact that your dad raised you. You know, yeah. that's such an amazing thing. Uh, whereas uh, on my side, it's more like, you know, when you are going through a divorce, if it ever happens, uh, and particularly in the 80s or, you know, in, the, in that era, um, the dad to get custody of the children was so unique in fact the dad to be allowed to even talk to the children was like oh wow she allows him to talk to the kids after he divorced her so you know it's such a raw concept for us here in the southeast asian community yeah but the the, the bit that i always took from that was that i got to see the other parts of what my dad would do it wasn't just a kind of stereotypical going to work and coming home and yeah, uh, yeah. and providing that way that actually he was really involved and engaged as was my stepmom with everything aspect of my life from education to emotional support and everything else so yeah. it's actually seeing those different that different dynamic within the house yeah and like obviously as a as a adult we cha- we experience different emotional challenges right when you're going through a divorce the the emotions and the feelings and the rage mm-hmm. as well is so different but as a child um what kind of emotions have helped you kind of heal or maybe even deal with, you know, is it emotions that you can kind of connect to your childhood specifically? Uh, I think that kind of confusion as well, because when yeah. you're that young as well, you're trying to piece it all together. And like, obviously we're both parents, right? And you, the things that you want to kind of teach your children and instill in children, but it's also about when they see the words that we say with the actions and behaviours as well. Mm. So it can, can be a really confusing 
and, and kind of scary time for kids. Actually, a lot of what they need to know is kind of selfishly for them, what's the pertinent information that impacts their world? Are they still going to go to the same school? Are they going to still have the same friends? Does, do they have to change football clubs? Things like that, of yeah. whatever their extracurricular activities are. Um, so, yeah, it's about helping children to understand, I suppose we'll get in more into this later on, about what impacts or changes might be to them, but also what they don't need is the adult story, um, yeah. what's going on between the parents, because actually that's not... That. Children see themselves as, like, 50% mum, 50% dad, yeah. right? Yeah. And if we start to badmouth one another in their subconscious, they're, go, they're viewing that as, okay, so if you think mum or dad is... A, B, or C, you must be thinking that half of that is for me. So, again, it can yeah. then cause internal conflict um, from a, a psychological perspective yeah, as well. Yeah, because you can't, you're constantly kind of saying, am I like her or am I like him? Or, you know, um, yeah. if I have this X, Y, Z issue or characteristic, yeah. is it because of my mum or is it because of my dad? And sometimes I feel like sometimes it's not even the parents. Sometimes it could just be societal conditioning or yeah. the people we're communicating with more often or hanging out with and our friends and stuff. But what's Tom's story? So, you know, how old was Tom and how has he gone from there to here? Uh, so I got married in 2006. Um, I was married for around about 10 years um, and had a couple of children with my, my my ex-wife we yeah about 10 years later we separated um divorcing divorce process kind of early 2017 and in actual fact the the actual legal divorce process the dissolution of a marriage um uh, the contractual side of it if you like um and the finances piece was actually comparatively to the children matters was a lot easier to get through from an emotional perspective and even from a practical perspective oh really um from it from my side of the experience uh, and how i felt about it it was we'd been unhappy for a little while more so myself um it was me that had ended the relationship and ended the marriage um but i think the, the really it's important always thing one to, person isn't it well i work with a whole host of clients yeah. men women and couples um and even in the most amicable of situations even when somebody has kind of raised their hand and said hey this isn't working or i'm not yeah. happy or however they've approached it even if the other person immediately says completely agree with you yeah. let's go our separate ways be kind to each other and we'll figure it all out even then it's still taken one of the parties to say yeah. hey this well, isn't it's, right it's, or i'm unhappy or it's not working and actually that takes quite a lot of it's really scary it takes quite a lot of courage to be the person to actually step out there and do that yeah and i think one of the things that again kind of shifts societal views second generations of, of divorced parents and things like that where they've had those kind of experiences that they then kind of look more into that kind of empathy side of things and actually mm -hmm. what we've got to remember is that no matter whether you're the party that has decided to end a relationship or you're the person that this is a shock to you're both going through your own emotional roller coaster yeah it's just different well, I mean, from both sides of the stories, I mean, obviously you said you, you made the call, right? Yeah. So for you personally, was it a build-up or was it a sudden thing that you thought, oh, you know what, I'm at the end of my tether now? But what led to that? Like, I'd be really interesting to understand when a man or a woman go, goes and has that conversation, what is leading, what's going on in their head, you know, what kind, yeah. of, the, the kind of emotions they're feeling. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like you said, the courage the courage has to come from somewhere. Yeah, it's really scary yeah. to be that person that that, that that takes that kind of lead or even initiative, you want to say, to um, to have that discussion. It's a really hard, scary, horrible thing to do. Mm. Particularly, and I'm not talk, we're not talking about experiences where there's things like experiences of abuse, for example, that are at play. But if we're talking about with a couple that have grown apart or those, those phrases that we hear quite a lot with people that are separating or divorcing. I mean, I have a lot of clients that come to me and say like, communications broken down and that's usually quite fundamentally true mm. but it's actually what was happening before the communication broke down and ultimately yeah. that stems into things like connection mm. or rather with a couple that are separated and divorcing a disconnect mm. like where are they disconnected in their mm. relationship like in terms of trust and faith in one another to talk about the things that have evolved in them as human beings because if you're with someone for 10 15 20 30 years like you're not going to be that same version that you were when you were 20, 25, 30, or whatever it was when we got together. Yeah. We're, we're always evolving as human beings, but have they felt comfortable enough and confident enough to 
express and show who they are with yeah. their partner, with their spouse. Um, and if they haven't, like, why not? What's been that fear factor for them? Um, so a lot of it comes down to connection. Um, from my own experience, I, had, I hadn't really acknowledged that the disconnect had been there it was there for about a year, 18 months beforehand, and it starts off with quite small, slight things um, that then become bigger things. And then it's actually when I had met somebody else who I got on really, really well with, had this great connection with, that I started to realise that if I could have that with somebody else, what was kind of wrong within the marriage with, with my wife. And she was feeling disconnected, but in her own way as well. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was just a kind of first sign but it was with myself and my ex-wife and with a lot of my clients that I speak to even if they're the party that has taken that decision very few and far and few between is it times where people really despises or has a real negative feeling towards mm. their spouse in actual fact that we're shocked. We're a shock to the system. Well, more so like, if you're the person that's leading it. Well, yeah, but if you're the person that's leading yeah. it, like you don't, it's not necessarily that you want to hurt someone. Yeah. And actually, I think that was one of the one of the big things for me was mm. that there was this amazing woman, great mother, really lovely individual, yeah. works hard, does a yeah, really nice yeah. person, great friend to a lot of people, lovely family with all etc. Um, but we'd become disconnected, and we we weren't right together anymore and actually it was about I, what I didn't want to do was hurt her but ultimately staying together even longer would, would hurt both of us even more and then ultimately our children um, I have a lot of clients that say to me oh we don't argue in front of the kids for example they never see us kind of arguing or shouting scream whatever it might be but there's also the things that maybe their kids aren't seeing as well. Are they not mm. witnessing affection? Yeah. More effective yeah. communication. Lack of, lack of love. Lack positive of environment. Like, you know, intimacy. Some, yeah. Um, and all those things actually how are they if they're learning from their parents around what love and a relationship looks like yeah. and there's an emotive disconnect a, a, a communication disconnect they're going to carry that forward into into future relationships yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I, I feel like it's like you said it took about a year and 18 months for you to kind of get to this point where you had the courage to say listen you know xyz let's kind of talk about parting ways um but it happens so often, particularly in our community, and I see it and witness to it in so many marriages that are currently, you know, in practice uh, and also have ended. Uh, and they've ended after sometimes 40 years or sometimes even longer. And the biggest obstacle I think we're facing in the Southeast Asian community is when we are feeling that distant yeah. or that disconnect, we're not acknowledging it. We're not actually addressing it. We're not going to have a conversation about it. We're still very backward about the way we approach this issue. So if a wife and a husband are not intimate, mm -hmm. for example, or they're not having a conversation which is about each other, their lives, mm -hmm. um, they'll just kind of use other avenues as scapegoats. Yeah. Oh, I'm busy with the children, or he's busy with work, or my in-laws are not well, yeah. or my, I'm busy with my parents. Um, rather than saying, hang on, when was the last time we did something together? Yeah. Or when when was the last time that I connected with you? Yeah. And I feel like it's so nice that you're kind of saying that you had the courage to do this and say this, mm -hmm. because there's so many marriages out there where two people, two amazing people, who could potentially be very happy with other people, if given the opportunity, are denying themselves that happiness yeah. by staying in a place where they are suffocating internally, yeah. but putting on this smile or this face where the world sees them as an immortal or perfect couple. But the reality is it's because they're quite weak and they're not acknowledging their own feelings. And more importantly, they're not acknowledging the impact it's having on their family functioning. Yeah. Because you're right, uh, staying together does not mean that your children are seeing a happy family home. Yeah. Sometimes they're just seeing two people that share a house and transactional <laughs> yeah, roommates. It's just yeah. it's like uh, okay, we're 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 housemates. You know, we kind of share the bills and we go out together. We have family time together, but really the kids aren't seeing the mother and the father figure yeah. uh, interacting. Or, you know, there's no intimacy, there's no love, there's no public displays of affection. Yeah. And all of these things are actually, ironically, 
although they are a little bit taboo in our culture and our religion, they're promoted in our religion also. You know, our Rasul Pakistan, he was a very loving husband to his wives. He was a very loving father to his daughters. And he was very affectionate. And there's so many mentions of it throughout the stories and the scriptures and the hadith of how loving and caring and of a husband he was. And most importantly, how attentive he was. Yeah. Um, and he knew when his wife was sad or happy or when she needed what, um, which is unfortunately something that kind of got lost in translation when we've started um, preaching. Okay. Uh, and I think it's really interesting to have you here and have this discussion because you're opening up this channel of communication whereby we're able to say, actually, it's okay to acknowledge if you're unhappy. It's okay to say, this is the end of the road for us. Yeah. And, you know, it's okay to actually walk away uh, and use other people's divorces as a model um, to be amicable. Because you and I have had this conversation yeah. so many times in the past where I've said to you, oh my gosh, Tom, you know, I have friends and family and I've seen so many previous cases within the, my community where they'll get divorced and the woman is torn between letting her children see their father, yeah. right? And this people who are constantly filling her ear and saying you're divorced now how can you let him see you how can you let him see the kids and you know sometimes it's not on good terms yeah. um, sometimes it is but regardless you know denying the children the right to see their dad yeah. it's just completely you know like it's incomprehensible as far as i'm concerned because you're having such a negative impact on their on their growth, on their concept to marriage, on their concept to relationships. Well, it's about their um, opportunities to learn yeah, as well and absolutely. take those different skills from from both people, from both parties. You you mentioned about um, maybe people that have separated, divorced after thirty, forty years, etc., and have adult children. Um, mm. From uh, an emotional, psychological perspective. Um, a divorce or separation can actually drastically impact adult children divorce more so than it can. Yeah children of divorce yeah. because they have already formed their views by the time they're late by teenager the as a young adult yeah, yeah absolutely um, uh, particularly if they are 20 25 30 or whatever yeah. their parents separate divorce and actually they've already built those values and belief systems around what a relationship is what love is etc exactly. they also then typically become kind of like ceo of their parent separation or divorce yeah. <laughs> and manage it for them yeah. whether that be the finances or whatever it might be or just the conversations then, yeah and then they can end up the siding as well so then that can cause more fracture between siblings as well so that mm. causes another separate yep. situation um uh, and actually then it, that then trickles down into their marriage their relationship their parenting Absolutely. styles then into the grandchildren so that's the kind of multi-generational yeah. um and this uh, is where we have to about. stand up and say oh my god you know what it's not just about me yeah. it's not just about my children it's actually about my grandchildren yeah. and because as you mentioned it is multi-generational trauma which yeah. trickles down through the conditioning of our conformed views of what a relationship should be yeah. um and obviously so you know as you mentioned tom you were quite young so do you feel like because your parents got divorced when you were quite young mm -hmm. your ideologies or your concepts of relationship are differing to the older children. No, it's funny because actually I think it was a growing up of a young child of divorced parents um, that actually I, I had always had the kind of this vow. And actually I think that was the biggest thing of from an emotional perspective that impacted me when I did end my, my, my marriage was the self-resentment, the guilt, the yeah. shame that I had for myself because this, I'd have had this one major thing in my head, this kind of self-vow from a very yeah. young age that when I was married and I had kids, that was it. That was yeah. me forever. I would never end up being my parents being separated and divorced. So that caused a huge conflict when I was then older and ended up did separating and divorcing. Yeah. Um, that's and I can actually, completely resonate with that, yeah. with what you're saying, because obviously I felt the same yeah. kind of emotions because my, um, as far as I was concerned, you only get married once yeah. and that's it, you know. So I wanted to defy everything I'd experienced yeah. and completely give my children a different kind of a perspective on marriage, yeah. on relationships and whatnot. So I, I get you, I get you. <laughs> but actually now that me and my wife are separated, I have a new partner, she has a new partner. Mm. Um, and actually our kids go between the two homes quite fluidly on a, on a kind of 50-50 shared care and a, a split weeks type thing. Um, and we've got to a phase, I mean, we went through our own kind of emotional roller coaster, and we 
behaved poorly and didn't initially treat each other with the empathy and kindness that we've come to learn to to approach it with um because we didn't know what we know now yeah um but these days i mean my wife comes around when she's dropping off the kids after school and lets herself in the door and yeah. like we kind you know, it's, of let it's, each other in, in each other's homes. We share birthdays, Christmases, holidays. You went, you went holidays. on holiday together, didn't you? We did, yeah. yeah. Well, several times. Actually. <laughs> wow, yeah, I love that. A couple that. of times. So you know, it reminds me of a uh, of a friend of mine um, in school, and uh, her parents were also, you know, it was a blended family system. And yeah. for me, it was such a new concept because obviously, although I belong to a broken home too, yeah. uh, and you know, the Asian, the Southeast Asian concept of blended family is so different to right. to my friend Gemma who who was a, who was obviously uh, English and um her you you really remind me of her blended family system because they used to go on holidays and whatnot um Christmas it was all very amicable yeah. and I used to look at it and think wow you know this is really cool like you guys actually hang out together uh, the mums and the dads and the yeah. stepmoms and the stepdads uh, whereas in my house obviously as a child although it was the same situation the same kind of dynamics um, it's very different because there's a kind of like a religious perspective to yep. it so as soon as a man and a woman get divorced he's no longer her mehram. Yeah. You know, um, so technically speaking, my mother could not go in front of my father, you know, because he's no longer her mehram. So, you know, it's so weird because there's such a fine line between the mehram via nikah and non-mehram. But then there was a little concept of blendedness there because my dad's uh, new wife and my mum were really good friends. <laughs> And they'd often, you know, have a chat about, you know, she'd call my mum and say, oh, you know, he did this or he did that. And my mum would be like, oh, you know, that's his old habit and, you know, whatnot. Um, so it, but it was really interesting to kind of watch that as I was growing up because um, I had obviously other examples of marriages within our community around us who were not very amicable, you know, yeah. whose mothers were not allowing their fathers to see their children just because of very, very small and petty reasons. And I think this is where my mindset really changed because I saw a difference in the way I was yeah. as a child and in the way other children from broken homes were as children. Um, and, you know, I've always been confident. I've never had to question um, my identity. Like I embraced divorce, separation, having a blended family system for a very young age. Um, and it was portrayed to me in a very positive light yeah. because neither of the parents that I was communicating with or connecting with ever bad-mouthed the other, you yeah. know, regardless of what their qualms were with each other or regardless of what may have happened for them to get to this point. They kept that away from they you. They kept that away from us. Uh, and, you know, all of us, like, I've got half-siblings and step-siblings, although I call myself an only child because I am for my mother um we all get on fine you know we're not the best of friends uh, um, we have had some good times together but it's never had any kind of negative connotation to it it's never been like he's hers or she's his or that kind of thing yeah. whereas what I experienced in other families other Southeast Asian divorces uh, was a lot of negativity yeah. towards the father or towards the mother, whoever decided to call it. And that this is where I thought it was very unfair. Because now, in hindsight, I, I, it makes sense. Because when I came to that point myself, and I had to call it and walk away from my marriage, I had to really think about, think hard and fast about how is it going to impact my children? Mm -hmm. you know, And what are the things that I'm going to put in place to ensure that my children's psychological well-being is maintained. And, you know, Alhamdulillah, anybody who meets me or meets my children would never guess that I'm divorced or would never guess that they are, you know, in a dysfunctional family as such. But they are. And, uh, you know, when I sometimes often look around, I think, you know, SubhanAllah, Allah is great. He's the best of planners. And there's always a reason behind why we are unhappy or why we're going through a certain mm -hmm. obstacle in life. Yeah, we are so tied down with the taboos so tied down with this what are people gonna say yeah you know that we just don't take that step to actually fulfill what is our destiny uh, and our family believe like i'm much better off uh after divorce uh, more particularly with regards to my deen right like more more particularly with regards to my faith um which i had lost a lot of once whilst i was ma actually married okay. um so you know i feel like everything has a positive outcome but we just fail to overlook that 
I mean, we failed to overlook the negatives and the hurdles. And we just, you know. So on that note, like, open conversation, maintaining a rapport, maintaining amicability or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. How would you say we should be doing that when we are at a point where we like, realize that, okay, we need to separate now? Mm-hmm. How can we maintain that amicable conversation well first of all before you can do that you really need to learn how to self-regulate your emotions understand what they are Mm. understand the difference between what emotions and feelings are emotions are the outcome of our internalized feelings so our behaviors yeah all right um and then we can actually talk out and figure out what those what those feelings are that sit underneath the emotions if the emotion is upset and crying etc What's the feelings underneath? Where's it actually coming from? So actually, yeah. what's what have you really felt about it? Because then, when you can understand the feeling, you can start to change your your thought patterns behind it and shift that thinking. So it's less blame ourselves or less blame externally. I seem to be X, a former spouse, and then that in turn, if once we learn to regulate and understand and unpack all those thoughts, feelings, emotions, then we can start to do things a bit more practical in terms of communication yeah. uh, and how we operate with uh, with, with our co-parent as well and in those earlier days it's things like still bring back to the forefront think about i say with people a lot of the time park co-parenting for a moment mm. right let's just park your kids for a minute let's future focus and look 10 15 20 years down the line yeah how do you want to co-grandparent because that multi-generational trauma That's we're never talking change. about right exactly what do you actually want this to look like sound like feel like when your adult children are organizing which parent comes to which events yeah. What that's going I mean, to look weddings, weddings, graduations, graduations, first parents birthdays, evenings. parents' <laughs> evenings, just general babysitting or a, yeah. a Sunday meal. Yeah. Right? Do you want to be involved in that? Do you want to? Do you want them also that that does those decisions also potentially impact their own relationship and marriage yeah. with their spouse about how to manage your divorce now that it's twenty thirty years down the line? Yeah. So starting to think about what might that look like and how do you want it to be? Yeah. And then it's kind of breaking things down and making things bite-sized, right? So then we kind of get back to things like, I'll start speaking to a client, what are the what are the values and the beliefs that you want to instill as a, a, as a human being in your children? Mm. Like what type of people do you want them to be? What's really important to them in terms of their, of their values and their beliefs? So kindness, integrity, compassion, all these types of things. So then how can you show that in your action and behaviour? Right, so that they can learn from you because they're watching us going, right, yes. well, how did dad do that or mum do that? And how do they treat my other parent, right? Exactly. And if it means that actually it's about getting a, a good support network around you, you kind of touched on that earlier about having it's that. positive people to mirror or negative people to mirror, right? So look external and look at, right, who's around you? It's And those early days of going through a, a separation or divorce, like, our nearest and dearest, our friends and family rally around us, right? And that's yeah. great. They help us pick us back up the floor, make sure we're eating, sleeping, <laughs> right? The child, the, the bits of help with child care, et cetera. But start to look slightly further afield, as you said, like examples of your friend, I think you said Gemma, right? Yeah. Start to look further afield. Look at other people that have gone through this, this life experience and have a better outcome and a better experience than, 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 than others. And, Talk to them, ask them questions. What worked for you, right? It's about yeah. building, instilling in them those acting behaviors of, the, of those behaviors like kindness and compassion and integrity and things like that and being kind to the other person. But then it's also about building your positive support network around you as well, people that have more positive influence, yeah. people that also help challenge your thinking. If you are really stuck in an emotional state, how people can help you get through that. Um, like I say, going back to kind of processing emotions and, and understanding things better. Uh, and then the other thing is lean into what you've got around you. So if you've got good, positive friends, family, community around you, right, how could that also be involved in that process if it's about handovers when the kids are moving between the two homes? Right? Mm. If that in the early days, if that can be utilised with friends, family, community, etc., um, so that actually maybe mum and dad don't have to directly interact or engage in those earlier days yeah. right? to help yeah. calm the situation. As long as it's in a positive way and it's positively influencing, could that be helpful? Um, it's also then, again, a lot of the work that I do with clients when I'm working with them, again, whether that's individuals or couples, is how can we start to make them look at things in kind of a more structured, business-based approach? So we more can pragmatic. S- so we can take some of the yeah. emotion out. 
how can we make this practically mm. work? Um, one of the most obvious ways for things of, of handovers, if you've got children of school age, is use the school. Right? Yeah, absolutely. On the neutral days of grounds. handovers, neutral ground. Yeah. Also, not just for the parents, but also for the, the child. They then or children, they don't have that moment at either mums or dads existing home new place whatever it might be and that mm. angst of either having to leave and yeah move m move between the two homes and actually using that nursery the school etc they can go off to school mum can drop them there and monday morning and monday uh, monday yeah. afternoon dad picks them up and you can use that as a nice transitional yeah. place yeah. grandparents homes if they go to grandparents after school things like Wait, that is it, you know what i'm going to rewind back because you said grandparents mm. is back to that point where you said you have to think about the next upcoming decades next 10 20 30 years yep. and uh, it's so important we really kind of zoom into that mm -hmm. because you're so right you know there are going to be some significant milestones in our life that we want to be a part of for our children our grandchildren um and, you know weddings are a classic example I, I kid you not i've been to so many weddings where one parent is missing yeah just because the the one of the other parents has said i'm not coming if she's coming you know yeah. or i'm not coming if he's coming and i find that absolutely selfish mm. you know if you are a parent and you love your child how can you deny that child that the other parent who is 23 chromosomes of what they are, right? <laughs> Your equal counterparts in their formation yeah. to not come to the happiest day of their lives. Um, and, you know, it just bewilders me that there are people out there who don't process these thoughts. And this is where, you know, we look at things like becoming a bit more intelligent, emotionally intelligent yeah. and channeling our emotions. Where's that rage coming from or where's that angst coming from? Because it always takes two, you know, we can't just say like, you know, even I'm a divorced woman, right? I would nowhere at any point say it was my husband's fault. It could never be just his fault. Yeah. It takes two people to make something work. It takes two people to make something break. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, maybe it takes one person a little bit more. Yeah. But there's no shame in that. But at the same time, why are we so ashamed to admit that we are also at fault? Because none of us are perfect humans. No. And it's okay for us to actually turn around and say, well, you know what? Yeah, he did this, but I also did this. And that has concluded me to you know a conclusion that we are not right for each other well that's what it, that's, that's that's what we call ca ca cause and effect yeah. as opposed to blame it's the events and uh, that lead to mm. um like i said earlier I'd, I'd i'd met someone else i had a connection with somebody else but happy people don't wake up on a tuesday morning and go right that one yeah. leaving for them right there's a systematic build-up of, of disconnect and a, a lot of other things and actually like i was saying earlier if people aren't in that disconnect and poor communications that actually there's a lot that sits within there about how do they not what was wrong between the two of them to not be able to either bring forth these problems these issues this change whatever it might be or to be able to question it and know that actually you can yeah. talk about these things right and, but and then it often it makes me think that were you compatible in the first place if you cannot communicate about your unhappiness mm. you know so uh, and this is where I'm very grateful to Mike's husband because although we grew apart, our communications were always quite open. So it wasn't that I was saying all of a sudden that, okay, this is it, or he suddenly said it. It was a build-up and it was constant communication about that build-up, that, look, this is what we're going through right now, or this is what we're going through. And it was very good for his mental health, my mental health, and our children's psychological well-being yeah, because we were able to kind of engage them in that conversation as well. Yeah. And it's very odd to say that but you know before the call was even made the children were already conditioned to kind of expect it okay rather than for them to be a sudden upheaval of oh my god our parents are no longer under the same roof yeah you know and for me and my children it was a huge transition as you already know because we was in america so i picked up my kids and came back across the continent to europe oh, back wow. to okay. uk and uh so, yeah, so Mike's husband is still in America, yet the blended family system, the co-parenting and everything works is very amicable. He sees them very often. In fact, if I look at some cases around me of parents who are divorced, my kids see their dad probably more than than some who live around the corner or local. Some yeah. father or mother lives just down the road, yeah. you know, a 10 minute walk away or something. And I find yeah. that absurd. 
that how any parent could be so selfish. So I think it, it does take a lot of emotional intelligence and a lot of willpower to seek happiness in your life to get to that point. Um, but you know, one thing I uh, one thing that is very black and white at the moment is back in the day, as we just spoke about, it took forever to say, "I'm not happy. I want to leave you." Yeah. But nowadays, it takes seconds. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like maybe those are too fast of a divorces. Hence. Yeah. Well, the the legal process and in terms of UK yeah. marriage, that that's obviously all online these days. To mm. No fault divorce that came in April 22 or whatever it was. Um, so it's kind of digitized and online. So it's kind of insta divorce, yeah. if you like. Right. <laughs> Access at your fingertips, um, which pros and cons as with anything in life there's some yeah. good bits there's some bad bits to it um but yeah i think part of that is uh, one of the things i always say to people because i have clients that come to me not just when they're going through a separation of divorce but actually I have a lot of clients that come to me again even as individuals or couples at the what i call the pre-phase mm. before a decision has been made okay make up or break up time yeah and like can we salvage the relationship? And even as a, a, a divorce coach, it's not I'm not here to mandate and promote divorce. If of I can course. do anything to help a couple stay together, that's that's really first and foremost where we'll focus. But actually a lot of the time it's having those people that come to us quite early on and helping them understand around like the processes, the timelines and things like that. But also actually, right, trying to get through all of that. How is there other things at play that they can work on beforehand? And even if they have made that decision together or separately, I always say to people, like, you don't have to rush through the process. Yeah. And obviously what we're doing at that time in our, our trauma state of fight, flight, freeze, fawn mm. um, is we're being emotively reactive. We're not making congruent thought through emotionally intelligent based decisions. decisions. Yeah. And we're driven by anger, fear, sadness, hurt, guilt, whatever that might be. Yeah. And actually until we've kind of really understood what that is, not got through the to the acceptance phase, because I, I think I've said this to you before and uh, like just in one of our other chats, that a divorce or separation process from a, a, an emotional and emotive perspective as well as a practical, legal, financial, it's less cyclical than the traditional grief cycle, anger, denials, acceptance, all, yeah. all, all the way through to yeah. acceptance, right? The last state is more of a wave. We go through passive and active states, right? Shock reactions, all these different things. Mm. The last stage actually isn't acceptance. The final stage is actually full disconnection. Yeah. In terms of like living arrangements, finances, emotively disconnected, all this other stuff. And that takes a while. Yeah, in fact, of course. There was um, a couple of years ago, there was a, a, some studies around the, and some stats around it, that the, the traditional grief cycle, the loss of a loved one, um, takes on average the average person around sort of six to nine months to process emotively um, and it impacts things like productivity at work to like 15% there or thereabouts um, whilst that is number one the most stressful and emotively impacting life experience that we all go through losing the loss of a loved one a parent whatever that might yeah. be second is a divorce or separation yeah. Yeah. but interestingly that takes almost three times as long in a, an emotional perspective it's like that takes at least 24 months up to five years yeah. for the average person to get through emotively. Because you're burying it. <laughs> yeah, and the, like things like productivity at work comparison is, I think, with the traditional grief cycle, it's around 15%. Divorce and separation, it's around 40% for the first two years. Mm. So you've got all these other things that are impacting you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just thinking about slow things down. You don't have to rush things. Right. Try to form some structure as early on as you can, especially if you've got children. Right. And then how can you do this in a kind, considerate, respectful manner? Yeah. And work through your own stuff as well as your stuff together. So, you know, um, on that note, mm. setting realistic process timeframes, yeah. like, you know, what's the time frame that we should realistically be putting or conditioning ourselves to kind of think about in terms of our process you know the whole grief circle yeah. as you mentioned the emotions and then the filing and the acceptance and then post-divorce yeah. how long do you think a person on average let's push it to the maximum amount if we had to push it to the max yeah. well every this is one of the things that i don't want to kind of answer a question with other questions but yeah. and kind of how long is a piece of string but 
every situation is so unique and it's about the people within it, the moving parts of children, living arrangements, finances, all this other stuff, how the separation has come around. There's all these different moving parts. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's been a growing trend of something called nesting. Okay. which I think you might have come across, yeah. nesting arrangements. Mm-hmm. And actually it's where the, the, the children stay in family home, matrimonial yeah. home, and the parents become interchangeable. And that, that can be quite a nice transitional process for both parents and children because we as parents get to experience what it will be like when the children have to go between two homes, yes. what it's like to be missing that Absolutely. thing that you need for work and stuff yeah. like that, right? Again, it's only a transitional process. It shouldn't be longer-term solution. Mm. And just taking that into consideration, say, look, before we start lawyering up or taking these positions um, and starting to create chronologies of what he did, she did, yeah. right? Especially, this is obviously where you've got children involved and a big passionate part of me is about co-parenting, right? Mm. Is if we can slow that down and go, right, let's just, how do we create a new structure of calm? And if you're using something like nesting, for example, most people do that for about six, kind of no more than 12 months. Yeah. When you get past 12 months of doing a nesting, you're like, you would typically yeah. start to be further down both the emotional and practical mm. path. Um, it sounds like a more financially viable solution as well, to be fair, because, you know... Potentially, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not easy to then suddenly start investing in a new home and two new homes, basically, which well, are the going other to accommodate part is multiple children. Responsibilities, yeah. right? So like you were saying earlier about with people that don't get to see their dad, I'm a much, much better parent mm. 50% of the time. When I was, when me and my wife were together, I did the, what we were talking about at the beginning, right? Yeah. I got up at six, I was on the train by seven into yeah. town and for work and I was le- le- leaving the city at kind of seven or eight on the train and home for eight, nine. Yeah. And the kids were in, in bed and I was, whilst I was married for all intents and purposes, I was a weekend dad, right? Yeah, literally. Um, really engaged dad and I've always been a, a big kid myself, but I was only really around at the weekend. And actually one of the things that was really important to me coming out of my separation divorce is that I would be more present and engaged parent. And actually, because we've got this kind of 50-50 shared care, I have like my two stroke three days per week, which is week it is, where I really knuckle down focus on work. But then when my kids are back, my work fits in around that. And I'm doing school runs, I'm making dinner, I'm ironing uniforms, all that stuff that they never used to see me do. Yeah, of course. And actually showing up. So that's also part of it is responsibility showing them what how you show up as a parent yeah. what those roles and responsibilities are and things like and that and being present like you are present in their growth in their yeah. development and uh, you know by the sounds of it doing a fantastic job and hopefully yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you know so, so yeah and but you know once again that's you you're born in the 80s grew up in the 90s having experienced it you've kind of evolved as this person yeah. who understands and embraces this transition right, that relationships aren't forever, they can change, and why should our little babies suffer in mm-hmm. the process, right? But we've got the younger generation right now who many of them don't belong to broken homes, but they're very quick on their feet. And as you mentioned, because this digitized system of being able to just apply for a divorce, you know, yeah. first year, oh, let's just get it annulled, um, it's completely changed the concept of marriage for them and the value of actually trying to make it work. Yeah. Do you get a lot of clients that are kind of from that batch? I've had one or two clients in the last sort of six, maybe nine months or so where they actually found out because of the automated message that they got because of the divorce application. Oh, my goodness, really? They weren't even told. Wow. That's actually how they got notified. Right. So this um, is exactly what I mean about the current generation. They're so detached yeah. from the world of humanity, empathy, emotions that they're living in a digitized world. Yeah, and so. it's Instantly just so accessible. wrong. That's wrong on so many levels. Well, I've got a, a, um, a friend and colleague of mine um, who uses this lovely statement, um, and she works with a lot of people in pre-marriage as well, and or more so, she works with a lot of, let's say, separated or divorcees who maybe have met second time around, and yeah. now they're not wanting to maybe make some of those um, those mistakes. mistakes. <laughs> um, and she uses this lovely phrase in terms of like plan the marriage not just the wedding absolutely how much time do we spend yeah like and money and resources like planning the wedding and what we're wearing and the cars and everything else that it for this big day or couple of days but have we actually sat down and talked about parenting values yeah. our relationships with money like how we like our traumas exactly Anything. like really yeah. getting to know each other yeah um and so that 
may well play a part in it. That's just me it, yeah, I'm so hypothesizing. Glad you, yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that because one concept that has now come to light uh, and, you know, recently become more famous, more popular in the UK. Um, I first came across it in the US. So, you know, when I lived in the US, it was a concept that my US family, um, well, a trend, she would call it, that my US family are really into. And they've been into it for the last, I think, seven, eight years now. Right. It's called uh, pre-marital counselling. Right. Um, and, you know, if I spoke sp speak specifically about faith-based so there's uh, masjids, mosques in the US, in different yeah. cities, towns, whatnot, that offer young couples yeah. who are about to embark on, mar in, you know, into marriage and in this journey of lifelong forever, ever, mm -hmm. um, an opportunity to come in and have Sharia compliant training on how to be a husband mm -hmm. and how to be a wife. Yeah. And, you know, the brothers are taught about the hadith and how our, what kind of husband our prophet was. Yeah. And the sisters are taught about the kind of wives that the prophet had and how each wife you know was the right wife for him and in what way and what she did mm -hmm. and then also you know just a basic framework of gender roles which are so like why what's a gender role you know you question gender roles now but really we're we're all made in certain genders for a certain reason right so uh and educating the pe the 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 the, the the young couples on Sharia compliant expectations of marriage, okay. um, which has worked wonderfully. And, you know, uh, I can see the impact of it, to be fair, on the young couples that are now being married for five years. And you can see the way they've involved as wives and husbands and embraced their marriages uh, alongside being themselves, but incorporating the faith okay. element of it. Um, and this is something that is now slowly, slowly rising in the UK. What do you think could happen if we were to kind of escalate that out into mainstream and make it more commercial? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's I think it's really useful resource and an approach, mm. um, and for different uh, different cultures, different beliefs, etc. Um, like I said, my friend who works with a lot of people, maybe that second time around. So it sounds like kind of sounds like the premarital piece but what she does is with people that have already been married they don't yeah. want to make those same mistakes yeah. right you're saying but um i think that, that is really it could potentially be really helpful for a lot of people i think that there's i know there's a lot of people that are trying to drive a bit more change in kind of school education and um i think is it called pshe like yeah, the, yeah. Uh, in terms of relationships and things like that and actually to educate children a bit more yeah. um so they really understand themselves a bit more as well and how to communicate and things like that and how they yeah. what's important to them in a relationship and a, a potential marriage so i think there's potentially some some merit in yeah. that um yeah. but i think a lot of people don't really own who they potentially are sometimes or really know who they are sometimes I mean, people are typically getting married a bit later um in life and having kids a little bit later so you'd the other thing is you've also got a decline in marriages but the actual divorce rate stays roughly around the same so you've also got a there's a whole host of people that are also unmarried cohabitants with children and things like that as well so there's a whole host of people and that's again all goes back to what we were kind of talking about it's about educating and lived experience isn't it and the life experience not just the legal one how can i as an individual who's considering a separation or going through a divorce without being harmful to the opposition mm -hmm. protect my assets or my finances and just streamline that process okay when you say protect and streamline your assets give well, me an example you know, i might you, have a property mean? that i owned before i got married to him okay or i might have an inheritance that belongs to me because my grandparents gave it to me not okay. joint okay. obviously joint assets are different mm -hmm. but how can we kind of protect ourselves in terms of what we have well i mean i work with clients that have never dealt with any of the finances so okay. for those people that have maybe they don't even know what how much broadband is for example <laughs> or how to how to get it connected um so for some clients that's around helping them educate and understand what their financial needs are a lot of people when they get into when, when those emotions are high and it's quite a contentious situation of divorce separation um is that actually what they're looking at is wants what do they want? Are they wanting to kind of ring fence everything or 
and, uh, but actually what what the courts look at and actually even practically particularly we've got the children it's about looking at needs right and then saying right so actually what do we both need to be able to provide a safe supportive stable home for yeah. our children um that provides them with the environments that they need but also has some kind of equitable level to it um and disparity but then you've got i mean there's so many different kind of things to consider i, I had um clients a couple of years ago uh where there was about a 10 15 year age gap something like that oh, wow. and also a very large disparity in in earnings and actually it was the the much younger party who weren't considerably more okay. so of course in that instance the person who was a lot closer and they were a little bit older a lot closer to retirement age who had a much smaller pension pot who had a much lower earning capacity with a much smaller opportunity for a, 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 um, in terms of mortgage capacity and things like that they needed it wasn't just one they needed a larger physical cut of, yeah. of the collective pie so that they could reset up and, and, and start over again um even with myself and my ex-wife at the time i earned considerably more than her and she needed more down on a house where i could get a, a larger mortgage so actually that was what was right in our scenario so we could still both house the children respectively mm. um but uh, there's so many different things when you talk around like inheritances uh, and things like that i'm not an ifa i'm not a, a chartered financial planner and no, like that. there are a lot of specialists out there that yeah. actually really focus in on dividing um assets through divorce or separation so i think it, what it all stems back to is get educated find out what you don't know Right. So speak to a pension, a pension planner. Yeah. Find out like what do you need over the course of your expected lifespan to to, to survive. And some you've got things like pension sharing orders and things like that that come into the mix. So it's find the right people. I think anything about what we've been talking around, whether it's legal, practical, emotional, financial, building the right team around you. Right. I mean, I, I have clients that have come to me that are referred by their lawyer and they've said. The lawyers referred them and said they're highly emotional. They're mm. finding communication difficult. Like all the parts that I work with, right? The, the, the psychological mindset, practicalities of divorce or separation. And then they come to me and they start asking me legal questions. I'm like, no, that's for your <laughs> lawyer, right? That's not that's not my area of expertise. Yeah. So, building that right team around you. So, when it comes to things like finances, assets, it's understanding what have you got, what do you need. Right. What does the other What does the other person need? What actually provides your children with stability um, and, and equity? Because the other thing is, and I've seen this before, where one person is really fighting tooth and nail to retain like a big chunk of the lion's share yeah. of, the, of, of the pot, um, and then the, if that happens, and then the children are going across to the other parent who is in a small apartment on the wrong side of town, and but the other parent's got nice big lovely matrimonial home or the family that home with heart, no honestly. mortgage right they'll then start to question it as they get older like there's a there's an unfairness and an equality and disparity in that and actually will actually mum and dad also deserve to have like yeah. the safe supportive space to be as well so yeah. again everything always for me always links back to what do you want to teach your children what do yeah. you want them to see hear and feel yeah yeah absolutely i agree with you on that so much and on that note i'd like to ask you about positive client experiences you know where yep. you've kind of come across people and they're like just picturesque divorce a picturesque divorce <laughs> you oh, see God. how i worded that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i've like, so hundreds of clients over several years now and let's like, say so men women and couples and i suppose it depends how you define it as kind of picturesque and, and successful so I, a couple that i was working with about two years or so ago um who they came to us at the very early stages. Right? They had decided to separate. They had had that hard conversation, that mm. really emotional conversation. What they came to me and said is, we don't want to go down a really expensive legal battle route and battering each other in court and over emails and putting their kids through it and things like that. Um, so they actually just one of the things that they came to us and said was, so we need help. How do we get through this? And actually... A lot of that was helping them to refocus on communication and connection, but a new version of that, helping them to understand trust with each other, rebuilding a new and different version, right? Helping them to put what they were and had before 
decompartmentalize it, put it into a box. That was version one, right? Yeah. One of the things I always say about co-parenting as well, it doesn't mean friends, right? It's just cooperative, collaborative, yeah. cohesive. It's yeah. just working together Co-working, for the greater yeah. good, right? Um, so like you do in your office with a colleague that you don't like, you know? You don't just stop doing your job because you don't like the way she does her presentations or you don't yeah. like her or him. You still have to co-work, collab, because... Absolutely got to pay the bills well i've actually that's a great analogy because i use that as well myself with clients Mm. saying have you ever worked with someone who you wouldn't go out with and spend social time if you don't have the same interest maybe you don't particularly really like them that much but you know they've got a unique set of skills to see this project through well that's what that's your co-parent yeah and so like with 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 that couple for example they we they did do um a kind of their own version of kind of nesting and things like that um and there was still downs as well as ups Mm, but they they worked through it very differently than they potentially could have if they had just gone straight into a a litigious court process or or, or mudslinging each other and things like that um so helping them to have a better facilitated conversation but also to really understand and hear where each other's coming from yeah because that's what they hadn't been doing their marriage was understanding well what's going on for you where are you coming from what's what are your fears what are you worried about and then when you get them again centered on focused on the children that they're in the center not the middle so they're not in this tug of war but that's the focal point for you ultimately they both want the same things they were just coming at it from different angles and then when they could understand that they could temper the emotions lessen the stress and the anxiety around things and have better more constructive conversations didn't mean they necessarily agreed but they could at least acknowledge each other's perspectives and point of views and then ultimately they can move on and and, and be a lot happier and save themselves so much heartache and so much financial loss uh and so much time you know time is precious life is precious and to waste it in a place where you're just constantly going back and forth you know you're not doing yourself any justice so I think uh, on this note, we have to really ask our uh, listeners or viewers to really focus on themselves. Like yeah. your divorce is about you, right? It's about your happiness. It's about bringing a conclusion to your marriage, mm-hmm. which you have already concluded in your mind. So why are you angry? Why are you fighting it? Why are you creating such animosity? Let's uh, And, you know, the bottom line, line is let's move forward. Let's really embrace this transition. Mm-hmm. Um and start the next chapter of life without having to like constantly pick a battle. You know, certain fights you yeah. just I just are not worth it. The thing I said to my ex-wife very early on after we'd separated, which at the time I know I think she wanted to whack me around the head for, um, but she has said <laughs> since that she kind of now she understands it and that she she sees it. She didn't it. actually whack you around. No, the head no, no, she didn't. Okay. No, no. Gosh, I, I think God. she probably just thought about it. But um, <laughs> was I said to her very early on, I was like after we'd separated, I said, look, I want to be a better ex-husband than I was a husband to you at the end of our marriage. Like, I still care for you. I want you to be happy. I always want to be there and support you in any way, shape I can. Yeah. Right down to, only because we've got the storms at the minute, I remember a couple of years ago when her entire front garden fence got wiped out by a storm. Um, and I went around to help her other half repair it. And Amazing. one of the kids come downstairs and um, said something along the lines of, you guys actually, not just metaphorically, but mend fences. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, again, like turning up to help her and show up when she needs something um, uh, and always being available. Yeah. Um, again, it's just what do the kids take from that and what do they witness from that? So, yeah. again, it's self-aware, self-reflective. What are you doing? You can't – I've had clients – I've had – this is quite a few years ago. I had a – they didn't become a client, but they did contact me to see if – about working with me and at the end of their initial free consultation uh, this person said right my seem to be ex or at the time current partner does a b c thing how do i stop them from doing that i was like well how long you've been together 20 years 25 years whatever it was i was like right and how long you known them five years longer than that i was like right okay i said and in that 25 30 years you've never been able to get them to do it I've spent half an hour on the phone with you in a consultation. I don't know who they are. What? How can I help you change that? And so <laughs> like, that's also not my role. Yeah. And also it's not your role. Yeah. It's just, I think what we're talking about here is around just, you, you can't control what other people are doing. You can only control you. So work on your thoughts, you. your feelings, yeah. your emotions, your reactions. Look for how do you deal with that and maybe take it somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Like unpack that with 
a friend, a professional, so you can really understand it all and get it all out yeah. to validate it. And then you can come back and actually be responsive rather than reactive. Yeah. Well, you know what? Sometimes we can we can go around in circles and talk about this for hours and hours. And Tom, yeah. you and I have experienced this so many times in the past where I say to you, oh, that just wasn't long enough, Tom. We need to talk about it more and, you know, talk about other aspects of it, you know, all the different dimensions and facets. Um, and, you know, so, and sometimes divorce, you know, this this contraption, this concept, this whatever we want to call it. Uh, I often like I'll hear a story and I'll laugh and I'll think, oh, my gosh, you know what? Why was it so hard? Or why did you even get divorced? Right. Mm. You know, I'm going to come back to my friend Gemma because her story is the funniest. Um, when I came back from America, I must have met her for a, for a tea, you know, just catch up because I haven't seen her for good, good 10, 12 years. So I said, how's you? How's mom? How's dad? And, you know, stepdad, stepmom. She goes, yeah, my mom got divorced. She's getting married again. I'm like, oh, third time lucky then. She goes, yeah, to my dad. I was like, what? Yeah. So they got divorced when she was like six years old or something. Yeah. And then... 23, 20, yeah, 20-odd 20 years later, yeah. they were getting married to each other again. It happens. It happens. So, you know, you don't hate that person too much because you never know. You might end up <laughs> back in the same old age home with them. <laughs> or, uh, and then you might end up with really peed off kids as my mate Gemma was because she was like, I'm not going to their wedding. And I was like, okay, <laughs> but they're your parents, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, like, like you said, Tom, reiterating what you said, just, you know, we need to start thinking about the future. We need to start thinking about the real reason why we're getting divorced is for me. And I have to look about look at how I can do it best for myself mm-hmm. without impacting the people I love. Mm-hmm. And if you have a good support system, then amazing. And if you have people that are filling your ears a bit toxic and not really, you know, encouraging you to do right by the man who actually loved you once upon a time uh, and do right by most importantly, your children mm-hmm. whose psychological well-being matters the most in any equation then you can't take advice from that person and i think um there's so much conversation to be had there's so much so many of the narratives related to this need to change but as always it's been so good to have you uh, on and it's been so good to engage with you and talk to you and just it's like a refresher course for me every time I see you. I think next time I'm going to be the divorce coach. <laughs> you're, going to, you the you're going to be interviewing me. Um, so, yeah, it's been lovely. Uh, thank you for coming on. And I hope the audience have enjoyed the show. Um, and uh, we hope to have you back on, hopefully. Yeah, brilliant. Maybe Thanks next so. time we'll get somebody else in to kind of give you some more. Uh, we can battle it out. Yeah, talk, yeah, a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been lovely. And so thank you everybody for watching and tuning in. And hopefully you have enjoyed our podcast this uh, on this lovely day. And wishing you a lovely week or day ahead. See you next time.